Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Everyone, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. I can't believe it's already Wednesday. It kind of amazes me how time continues to fly. I feel like I was just doing last week's intro not too long ago. So um, it's exciting because this coming weekend is Memorial Day weekend. So I know that is something we can at least look forward to, especially during this time. But I just want to say hello if you are new here. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Emily and I'm the host of the show. And on this podcast, I typically talk about topics revolving around life fulfillment or areas of our life that incorporate into our fulfillment in life. So that could be a professional career, our relationships, maintaining health and wellness, Um, And obviously just how we can combine, you know, most of that together. So um, yeah, if you're new here, just wanted to give you a quick little tidbit of what this show is all about. But today's episode is one that I am so excited for you guys to listen to. Catherine Berry is someone that I just absolutely love and admire and I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to chat with her on this episode I find her and I very like-minded and she's just so savvy in what she does. I love the way she talks and the way she just answered a lot of these questions on this interview. So that's certainly why um, this one's a little bit longer. I just think her insights are so valuable and this is especially for anyone in, um, you know, graduating high school or in college right now or graduating college, um, you know, around this time, or if you're even already graduated, I think she's, she was able to really hit the nail on the head in all aspects. But if you haven't heard of her before, a little bit about her, Catherine Berry is a Northern California native who left Silicon Valley behind to dive headfirst into LA's entertainment industry while studying business at USC. After three years in Southern California, she surprised herself by deciding to move back to the Bay Area and return to the tech industry post-grad. She now works full-time in tech sales by day while creating content by night, and you may know her as Katharao on Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. She's been on YouTube for close to a decade, amassing 132 
thousand subscribers who come to her channel for carefully crafted tips and tools you likely haven't heard elsewhere. Whether it's money advice, job hunting tips, or travel tricks, she strives to provide her viewers with the insight she wishes she would have known at each stage of her life. As you can see, she's just very well-rounded, has a lot of tips in various areas, and like I said, this conversation was definitely by far one of my favorites. So without further ado and without my continuous ranting, let's just get right into today's episode. All right. Well, thanks, Catherine, for joining me today. I'm super, super excited to chat with you. I feel like we have a lot of relatable topics and conversations to talk about today. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, how about you take us through your story, share who you are, maybe like an elevator pitch in a sense, you know, where'd you grow up? How'd you get to where you are today? Sure. So my name is Catherine, Catherine Barry. Um, you may know me as Catherine Out on Instagram, YouTube, sort of my social handle, but to take you through, you know, who I am and, you know, where I've come from. So I grew up in the Bay Area, so I am a NorCal gal at heart, and that's where I currently live today, but um, grew up here, like very, very close to Silicon Valley. Um, parents moved here from Michigan, so it was kind of like, you know, they, they transplanted here and dove right into tech, and I think that's where a lot of my background com comes from, is just going to school and like, you know, having Apple and, you know... Um, Amazon and Facebook and all these companies in my backyard. Um, and then I went to USC for college, which is where I would say I did probably most of my growing up. Um, I graduated in three years, actually. So typically people say four years of college, but for me, it's only three. Um, and that was just because of financial reasons. We all know USC is very, very pricey and people do extraordinary things just to uh, get in there. So um, I went to USC, majored in business, and that's where um, a lot of my content creation took off. I've been doing YouTube since freshman year of high school, but it really didn't build into anything consistent until college when I started doing more college content. Um, I was a tour guide. I was in the marching band, and I think USC is a really good backdrop for the college experience just because it is such like a wonderful campus, like involved environment. And so I tried to vlog as much as I could and do videos about college advice, you know, moving in and, and picking classes and everything. And I just loved my time there. It was like the best, best experience, uh, but ultimately decided to leave LA and come back up to the Bay Area just because I didn't see myself in LA long-term. I love visiting it today. Like I love, it's my favorite place to visit because it's so close um, and I have so many friends still down there, but ultimately I wanted to move back to the Bay Area. So I moved back after college, lived with my parents. So <laughs> took that rent-free approach, um, the boomerang approach for like the you know year and a half to your mark after I graduated. And then this past summer of 2019, I moved up to San Francisco, which is where I work. I work in tech sales. I'm not exactly sure whether or not I, just, I should say my company on here, but I'll just keep it vague uh, for the illustrious curiosity effect. But um, I work in tech sales and I've been doing it for three years now. So I've been pretty consistent there and I still keep up YouTube and all my social media stuff on the side and I've kind of 
pivoted my content more towards like work week in my life, working world content, which I didn't really see much of, you know, three years ago. So I'm glad it's sort of a, a new like niche uh, trend in YouTube. That's me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You definitely have so much under your belt. I'm honestly super impressed. You know, your whole experience and still, you know, to this day, balancing both YouTube and, you know, going into tech sales, but definitely backtracking real quick. Cause I remember if I recall correctly, I watched a video of yours, I think um, when you were deciding on which schools you were going to, and you had like mm-hmm. quite a few to choose from, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the classic like Silicon Valley kid, you have to apply to like 15 schools to get into 10, you know? Yeah. I, and I think, was it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was University of Virginia one of your options? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So really, uh, you did your research because that yeah. was sort of like my dream school was UVA. We just did a few college tours on the East Coast of schools that had good business schools. I knew I wanted to be a snake business major, I guess, in high school. And that's what I was going for. And UVA, like, just absolutely captured my heart because it was beautiful little campus just so Mm -hmm. idyllic you know the quad and just like the tour guide that took me around just lived the dream and they had so many kooky like you know spirited campus traditions and Mm -hmm. you know a good basketball team and the business school is great and I was just kind of like all right this is it this is the spot Mm -hmm. you know it's completely different but of course like in my high school's history only, only like three people had gotten into UVA over the last like five years just because it's a public school out of state. I didn't really think about that in the context of admissions, but in hindsight, I'm glad that I I actually ended up being deferred. And then I think deferred and then waitlisted and then rejected was my ultimate trajectory. But um, I'm kind of glad it was a blessing in disguise because, you know, for me, like when I look at the value of my education, if I'm going to go to a public university, it probably should be in my backyard just from a financial mm-hmm. standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really, really glad I ended up going to USC. I chose it over Berkeley and Notre Dame and a few others that uh, were in my sort of pool of acceptances. But mm-hmm. U- UVA was originally my dream. Okay. Yeah. And I remember that. I don't know. I do have a sharp memory. I will, I will say that. But <laughs> I remember watching it because I was also deciding between USC and other similar schools being from the East Coast. And I went to a Catholic high school. So a lot of my friends um, chose Notre Dame and and Villanova Mm. like that. So when I was looking on YouTube, like just to hear people's, you know, either their process of going to a certain school or getting accepted, I think I came across yours. And I think that's honestly when I first discovered you was like all about college. And when I saw that you got into or like we were thinking about U of A and like Notre Dame and all these schools, I was like, okay, this girl definitely has like a stellar GPA. She's definitely very like, you know, academic focused and whatnot. So I was like, okay, I think I'm going to really take some advice from this girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it's interesting because those sort of like college acceptance videos have become such a thing on YouTube. Like people Mm -hmm. put in the work to announce where they're going like they'll do they'll like print out the logos put them on cupcakes like do all this crazy stuff to like build up the suspense of where they're going Mm -hmm. I've just I had no idea like that's what this sort of like college admissions YouTube would turn into Mm -hmm. and originally I made a lot of like uh, videos on that topic because I didn't really see that being made back in like you know 2013 2014 it's crazy to think 
it was that long ago. But to me, it's like, I didn't really have a college counselor. I know a lot of people are privileged to have those today if they can afford that. You know, even at my school, it didn't really feel like anyone was necessarily guiding me of, of the best practices and the tips and tricks. And so I just sort of self-studied and talked to friends that had the cushy college counselors and figured that out and just wanted to share anything I could possibly share with people that were, you know, as you know, uneducated as I was on the topic. So I think that's kind of like, I just wanted to give free advice and um, I'm glad I made those videos because I think I get a lot of people coming back to them even today, like looking at, um, you know, some of the tips I, I gave, they're probably outdated, but um, I'm glad that's kind of where I started. Yeah. And I'm sure it's pretty unique now as well to kind of even have a chance to look back at your old videos and to see, oh my God, like this was a time before college and to kind of just see the trajectory of where you're at today with like now working in tech sales and already, you know, graduating from college in three years. I'm sure, you know, I think that's obviously a great learning experience for you, but as well as other people who might even want to do the same thing, like graduating in three years or so. Yeah, I, I didn't really think that um, it was that crazy or unique to do, but I definitely have seen it more and more often. I know, I think Michelle Reed also graduated in three years. So it's a decision that some people make. I mean, it just depends on the college experience you want to craft for yourself. Like, could I have stayed a fourth year? Yes, I would have been in 60 plus K of debt. So that was kind of the trade-off I made was like, I could have gone to Berkeley and had fortunately, very, very fortunately, very blessed to have my parents, you know, save over 20 years to build up a college fund for me. Um, I could have just spent that at Berkeley for four years, but I wanted to go to a place that I felt really magnetized by. And in the moment, I actually did not want to go into tech. I wanted to work at Disney. That was like my lifelong dream was to work at Disney. Um, and it's right there in the backyard of USC and so many grads and USC students already worked there where I was like, okay, this is the plug. This is the move. It's worth the, you know, three years over four, especially because at USC, you enter the business school year one instead of Berkeley or UVA, where you apply your sophomore year and you might not even get into it for junior year because the acceptance rates only like 50%. And I was like, if I've done all the work in high school, which I clearly did, I was like an obsessive student, way too probably obsessive. And mm-hmm. um, I worked hard so that I could get into college. And I didn't want to have to do that whole process again. So I ultimately chose USC for kind of the entertainment aspect of it, but then obviously made a pivot um, after the three years. Mm-hmm. And you studied business at USC and you it seems like you were already pretty set on studying business of some sort going into college. Um, you know, was there a specific reason you felt like it aside from maybe growing up within, you know, obviously near Silicon Valley and kind of being around maybe business-minded people? Yeah, I think it was sort of a catch-all for me because I didn't really have like one one subject in school that I really excelled at. I sort of was like, you know, good at, at like shallow level good at many of them. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel like I was going to be, you know, a marine biologist or, you know, an English major. It didn't feel like I had that one subject that was going to take me far. I kind of wanted to combine a bunch of things. And ultimately, I loved behavioral economics. I listened to a bunch of podcasts on it when I was in high school, read a bunch of books on it. I took a statistics class and I loved that. And 
I feel like psychology is sort of wrapped into business and I loved math and that's wrapped in there too. And even English is from a, you know, presentation standpoint. So I felt like, okay, it's just a good melting pot for all these different subjects that I liked. Um, and ultimately I did really like my business degree. I think that, you know, do I use it every day now? No, but I don't think many people can say that about their degree in any case. So it was a good foundation. And there are certainly like several key things I've taken from that time that I use daily. Yeah. In your personal opinion, and I guess from personal experience too, would you say that your major and anyone's major um, has a positive impact on like one's career trajectory? Or would you say that it might not necessarily play that much in a part, like from maybe from your experience now working in tech sales? Right. I mean, that's a great question. I think I was just I was just binging this show called Normal People on Hulu and phenomenal show. It's really, really good. (laughs) And this was just a minor piece of it. But one of the main characters wanted to go into law. And then sort of the other protagonist in the show was like, no, you really love English. Why would you do something you don't love when you could do something you really care about? And he was like, "Okay, well, English, there's not necessarily like a proven career path after that but he ended up going into English anywhere anyway and spoiler not that big not that big part of a story but spoiler is that he did really really well in his English major and was like top of his class because he had the passion for it so in my mind it's almost less about the major and just more about what you do with it you know how much you apply yourself and if you love it and you're psyched about it you're going to reach out to people to do coffee chats and to get you know, mentorship opportunities set up, and you're going to want to apply to as many internships in that field as possible. So to me, it's like, it it almost has to be something that, you know, ignites you and kind of fuels you. And even if it's something that's, quote unquote, like less practical, I think as long as you have the passion for that, at least in my interviews, I've noticed that, you know, the passion and the kind of like the, the drive and the grit is almost more important than the major, especially sales, like they really it's not a defining characteristic that, you know, what, what your major was to get into a sales career. Yeah, I honestly could not agree more with everything you said about the major aspect, because I think that is something as well that, you know, because I do have quite a few high schooler, you know, ages that listen to this podcast. And a lot of them, I think, I remember being at their age, I struggled with what I really wanted to study. I think I thought, okay, business is what I will get into eventually. I always felt very business-minded and business-oriented, but at the same time, I later on learned that studying business was not necessarily what I wanted to study, but rather was Mm -hmm. something I wanted to incorporate my passion with. So obviously, I studied, ended up studying corporate communication, and I combined it with my skill sets in business and my knowledge for it. And I remember seeing a huge difference in my drive to go to class and my drive and my um, passion for just even being in class. Whereas I remember going to some of like the really deep calculus classes and a bunch of nitty gritty stuff within business admin, Um, as much as I loved it, it was a little bit black and white. Um, But I remember that feeling as well. And I agree with you being in sales at the end of the day, they don't really pay attention to what you studied, but rather, you know, what you do with it, how you can apply into the real world today. Exactly. Like it's, it's not, it's not going to hinder you what you choose. And also for business, you can always get your MBA if you really need that and undergrad major in, you know, what 
what really excites you. Yeah. So let's dive into your career a little bit because now we're talking on the career um, topic, but you work in tech sales. Can you share a little bit more about what you do exactly, especially for those who might be curious about what sales, like the environment of sales is like in general and what it's like to be, you know, a female in sales? Sure. So I had no idea what sales really encompassed when I was in college. So I'm happy to share more about what it is and clear up any misconceptions, especially for women where there's not exactly the visibility element within sales for women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's getting better. But I would say tech sales as a field is, is essentially, you know, you work for a tech company with some sort of technology that either helps like consumers or businesses. So in my case, I sell digital marketing technology. So it's everything from analytics software to email management software to advertising. And I work exclusively with companies. So I'm working with like Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies that have large marketing departments and do this every single day. And, you know, the companies like Nike or the NFL or, you know, uh, Snapchat, like it can, it can be any sort of company, but I work with the di- digital marketing directors and and uh, the business unit there to figure out, you know, what sort of gaps they have right now in their marketing strategy and any issues or problems we can help them fix and then ultimately work with them um, to use one of our solutions to help them do that. So that's a very, very just base level understanding of it, but it is, it's nice because I kind of straddle the line between marketing and sales, which originally I thought I would get into marketing after school. So it's nice to still have that in my day to day because I'm working with marketers, you know, seven to four every single day. Yeah. Um, and from your understanding and experience in the corporate world and obviously in sales, do you recommend, um, especially women, going into a sales career? And if so, who would you recommend it to? I guess speaking more so on personality traits and things that you've noticed um, other women do well in sales. Like, what are the, some of the things that they have that might interest those who are younger than us today to maybe pursue a career in sales? Yeah, so I absolutely believe that more women should be getting into sales. And I think it is an issue of, visibility and just, you know, stereotypes where, you know, we think of us when we think of like a sales person, we think of like a white man, maybe 40 years old, like very extroverted, kind mm-hmm. of that like Wolf of Wall Street type, which I definitely did. That's always kind of the archetype I had in my head. But women are so uniquely apt for sales because we're as <laughs> like as a group, you know, we have heightened emotional intelligence. I feel like we are more communicative and, you know, you can break down the neuroscience of that, but I really do believe that women have this special talent for communication and really empathy and understanding. And, you know, we come into things with a completely different mindset than men would. And I've noticed that in my career is that, you know, you bring eight heads together. I might be the only woman in the room, but I bring such a different perspective as basic as, you know, sometimes we work with hair care companies or makeup companies and it's like, Hey, these men do not know. They just don't know. <laughs> they, they can't accurately sell or, you know, make a presentation about it. Cause they just don't know, you know, what exactly drives the value of those products. So even in something as sort of like genderized as that, it really helps. But 
I would say in terms of like traits that really define a salesperson, I wouldn't be as, um, you know, plain as to say you have to be an extrovert. There's actually a ton of introverts I work with that are very, very good at sales because they're not going to interrupt you on the phone call. They're going to be a really good listener. They're going to be really, really patient um, and they bring a different mindset into it. But I would say someone that's very driven, achievement oriented, um, organized, you know, good at communication. You have to have some sort of presentation ability or work on that emotionally intelligent, um, mm-hmm. sort of a lot of grit and resilience because sales is a very, very turbulent career path. You know, you don't have your whole salary guaranteed every single month. You know, yeah. you have ups and downs, especially right now with this pandemic, like with the economy shifting so much, it really, really, you know, takes a hit on the companies you work with and their ability to buy products and renew products. So it takes a certain amount of like drive and grit and organization, but Ultimately, if you're someone that likes to, you know, make a goal and then hit it, sales is like the perfect place to sit. And that's what really connected with me was that, you know, achievement oriented nature of it. I couldn't agree more as well with everything you said here, especially on some of the things that, you know, you you tend to need or should have almost innately like that drive and the grit because, you know, being in sales myself, I definitely have experienced the turbulence of the ups and downs and the the months uh, that were super great and the not so great months, especially during COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I certainly agree with everything you said there. And I, I do agree as well that I think that women, um, because there's not as much visibility, uh, you know, for them being in sales, that people should, you know, especially us being, you know, at the younger age a little bit, we should be able to promote it a little bit more and help, you know, those who are curious about it, get to know more about it. Because I think, you know, from my experience in college, I just, it's not one of those um, career paths that is talked about as much. It's almost so generalized that like they don't really bring up as sales as a career, even if you majored in marketing or something. No, they don't at all. And that's something I brought up in one of my videos was never at all growing up or in college that I even think about sales for a second until I got to the career fair because, and maybe, you know, if you're listening and you're in school right now, you could, you can kind of see that. I feel like in business programs, it's very, very driven towards consulting or investment banking or some sort of finance. Mm -hmm. And those are the two sort of catch all buckets you're supposed to go into. And it does feel like every single professor and every single career fair is ultimately pushing you towards one of those two things. And for a while, I was kind of, you know, pretending and convincing myself that consulting would be a good option for me. But I could not be happier that, you know, um, my company showed up at the career fair and that one of my tour guide friends graduated a year earlier than me and went into sales at my company because it exposed how much of a option it really was for so many people. And now when I look back at, you know, my graduating class and so many people that I was in business classes with, so many of them are in sales, yet there's zero sales classes at USC. They -hmm. never talk about it. There's no guest speakers that are in sales. It was so kind of almost shunned and kind of spit upon that, you know, sales was like, oh, why would you go into that? You know, when investment banking and consulting are out there. Well, honestly, the salary for sales I've seen firsthand at least in San Francisco, is higher than consulting if you hit your number 
and you're not mm-hmm. working the same amount of crazy hours and, you know, working in a tech company, especially you're so nurtured and so supported. And it really does feel like the perfect sort of entry level job because you're getting the customer facing experience that leadership wants you to have. Like one time I was interviewing at this company in Redwood city and it was really cool because the CEO came in for one stage of the interviews and basically said, you know, this is a rotational program. We want everyone to be in the sales part of the rotation at least once because you do need that customer facing experience to accelerate your career and to, you know, rise in leadership. So I've seen all sides around that, you know, sales is underrepresented and misrepresented, but don't, um, don't discredit it. It really can be a good option for, for so many people. And I also think too that sales just teaches you so much on how to balance everything and how to kind of do it yourself in a sense. I think it, like you, like you said, it you have to have a lot of grit to and, and resilience to go through the job and go through the motions every day. But I think in my personal experience as well, I don't know for you, but it has taught me a lot of, um, you know, just ability to kind of, it's almost like entrepreneurship in a sense where you have to learn how to go after things on your own and, you know, obviously close deals, but also understand the customer, right? Like you have to please them and understand what it's like to be on in their shoes. And at the end of the day, still meet your goals, whether that's numbers related or, uh, you know, something personal. And I think that's something that people don't really know about sales, that it makes you almost um, wear all hats in a sense, right? Exactly. It's just, it's the self-motivated piece of it that you touched on that's so relevant, you know, it's, it's up to you what you own, but you are sort of, I, I learned in college, like an entrepreneur. So it's not that you're starting your own company, but within the company, you're running your own sort of micro business. You know, you have so many companies in your portfolio of accounts to work with, and it's totally up to you which direction you take it. How do you reach out to that company? Do you send them a video? Do you send them you know, a bottle of their favorite wine? Do you send them their college, you know, their college alma mater logo on a, you know, blanket? Like, how do you reach out to them in a personalized way? And that continues throughout the sales cycle is, you know, you make the decisions of how you want to approach it and exactly what you touch on every single call and every single email. So there is this really nice amount of control that you do have. You know, it's an entry-level job, so you're not a director making all the decisions, right? But I would say compared to a lot of my peers that went into, you know, production assistant or sort of like entertainment entry level jobs where you are just someone's assistant and you are really just someone's bitch to do whatever they want. And that's, you know, from the from the horse's mouth of like a lot of my friends in that sales and at least tech, like you're given so much ownership and they trust you so much because I'm 24 and like there's a million 24 year old CEOs out there making seven figures. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's like you can't discredit young people. They have really good ideas. And even just recently, I know I'm long winded on this answer and many others, but most recently, one of our newest ideas for prospecting and for reaching out to accounts that we haven't talked to so much was using Cameo, which I thought was so inventive and cool. And basically, we would buy Cameo slots for, you know, different celebrities. And we would send those cameo slots to our customers. So we would say like, hey, you know, I'm Steve Carell and, you know, make some funny office office reference and then say, hey, you know, 
this this company wants to work with you. Here's what they do. You know, you should reach out and set up some time to to have a call or to get lunch. I just thought that was so cool and just like innovative that this like very millennial product of Cameo, like you can use that in your sales cycle. It's not so serious. It's not so crusty. Like you do have so much ability to be creative and be inventive. And even just the events that I've been to in my sales career, like they do such a good job at at um, thinking on their feet and, and pulling in fresh ideas to, to help with the sales cycle. And I guess speaking on sales while we're still on the topic, for those who are listening and are considering going to the sales direction or career path, what is your best advice for those starting out? Good question. So I would say, and I, I'm mentoring someone that just came out of college um, and is starting at our company right now. And I just keep telling her, you know, it's going to be shaky for the first six months. You're going to doubt whether this is good for you, whether you're good at the job, whether you like it, um, whether you have a future in it. You know, if you're doing everything right, you're going to doubt so much and it's going to feel kind of shaky. But that's how you know you're doing it right. Like if you don't have those doubts, um, you might be a little bit overconfident. It's almost good to have some question and some internal investigation of, you know, if you like this and, and what's going on, because it's so natural to have that. It's so normal. And I absolutely had that for the first six or seven months that I joined um, the company. And then, you know, just like that, before I knew it, suddenly I was comfortable and I was, you know, in my, in my, you know, vein and in my spot. And I just felt like I hit my stride without even realizing exactly when. So just don't, don't, uh, don't give up too soon. It will get better. It will, it will feel, feel more comfortable very, very soon. <laughs> I definitely could not agree more <clears throat> with that as well, because I remember when I first started out in sales, I guess maybe about six months ago, um, I remember those days when I was like prospecting because I work in outside sales. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, foot prospecting and I'm meeting with people outside the office and I just remember there were some tough days and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I remember the day I was super excited to start and like three weeks in, I'm like, oh my God, it's a little rough right now. <laughs> but um, over the months, I, I look back and I'm like, I, it's definitely been worth it. And I think for me too, um, you can speak on it as well, but I've gained a lot of great experience with building a relationship with my coworkers and those in my office. And I think that's something I completely overlooked when I first started the whole um, job search process after graduating last May, I, you know, I was like, okay, thinking about more so about the job and the career path versus the relationships I'd be developing. I don't know from your experience, if you have anything to add on to that, but I think that's been super valuable that I completely just didn't really consider as I went into the job. No, that's, that's super real. I started out in a hiring class of 25. And so you know, beyond just starting out in a, you know, getting out of college, starting your career in the real world, that's scary enough. But at least I had this group of people exactly the same age. We're all from varying, but also similar backgrounds. And we were all at the same place, the same time. You know, we started from ground zero together. We were all clueless for months and months together. And so it felt good to have people that, you know, I didn't have to pretend that I knew what I was doing day one. You have others that have, you know, been in your shoes before or in your shoes right now. And it was this kind of nice, like, freshman year situation where I had other people to, you know, 
make really good friends with. And I have like several friends that I started with where like it's been years and years and they've moved away and they've changed companies, but we still talk all the time and we visit each other and we're going to be in each other's weddings, that kind of thing. Like it, it is not to be undervalued that in tech, at least most companies, if you start out in sales, you're going to have um, similar age people that you're working with in term, instead mm-hmm. of like, you know, some of my friends work in like legal affairs and it's them. And then, you know, five, 50 plus people, which is not bad. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but it's just different. It's not, it's not the level of like comfort that we're used to coming right out of college. Exactly. And I'm glad you touched on that as well, because um, I think, you know, from my experience, a lot of my friends that graduated before me would talk about how all their coworkers were different ages and half of them were already married or in a serious relationship and they were, you know, just out of college. And I was like, oh, no, I guess that's what it's going to be like for me. But I think sales is such a different environment because in my experience as well, I started with a group of people that were close in age or, you know, we're all in the same boat of just starting at ground zero, not knowing anything yet. But, um, you know, you definitely develop friends within the work workforce that you definitely would not have thought of prior to starting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I I also want to touch on YouTube a bit because I know that's been um, definitely a big part for you. And, I, you know, that's how I originally discovered you. But um, I'm definitely curious, as your YouTube channel grew over the years, did you ever consider doing that full time instead or something similar of that sort? So... I wouldn't necessarily say I fully considered it. It was is always sort of in the back of my mind that, you know, I have this YouTube channel, you know, um, many people do YouTube full time. It is a career option for so many. Um, I think there was one summer in college that I had a part time internship. So I was only working like two days a week. And so I kind of had the majority of the summer to be, quote unquote, a full time YouTuber and try that out. I have to say that summer, I was very scattered, just not in a good headspace. I was like all over the place. And it's so easy to get, you know, centered and start to freak out about your numbers and your metrics. And I don't know, I just did not gel well with doing YouTube full time because prior to that, I'd been a full time student also juggling YouTube. And I'd always told people, you know, I'm a college vlogger. The college comes first, the college piece of that comes first quite literally in the name college blogger and just otherwise, like my schoolwork always comes first. And when I was, you know, starting to wrap up the end of my USC career, the job search was really, really hard. And so when it kind of felt like I wasn't going to find anything, I was like, okay, I have at least this sort of not, not a real safety net, but a something to do full time if I need, if, if need be. I never had a manager or anybody that was, you know, managing my YouTube career. So I didn't quite have like their negotiation skills. And I, I think a lot of my my brand deals and sort of my revenue have suffered because of that. But I don't really want, um, and this could change, but I don't really want someone necessarily forcing me to do YouTube. I kind of like having it as a hobby and having it as a side hustle because the more and more I worry about it, the worse and worse my content gets. So long story short, I think I'm just too neurotic to do YouTube full time and it just would not fulfill me Mm -hmm. like having a full time job would. And juggling the two is not, you know, comfortable or easy, but it's the arrangement that works out for me, first of all, financially, because I live in the most 
expensive place in the country, um, unfortunately, but also fortunately, because I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I need to have like as much income as possible. And I, I just worry with YouTube where the, you know, where the job security is going forward, because you are really dependent on an algorithm for at least a couple streams of your of your income. I really love that you touch on the practicality of having YouTube um, as a full-time job. Not that it can't be, but just like you said right there, that you do have to depend on an algorithm and you have to depend on so many different uh, facets of your YouTube channel and, and the promoting of it and all these different things to ensure that it's sustainable as a full-time job. And I think that, um, you know, despite my ultimate respect for people doing it full-time, I think I really admire that you also put it in practical perspective in that, you know, um, you're looking at it and you don't want to have to worry about it, you know, in supplying you income and that you said to yourself that when you worry about it too much, your content isn't as great in your opinion. So I think that's something uh, for those listening, because I've definitely had people talk about Um, you know, within my DM saying like, hey, I want to do YouTube or social media full time, like, how do I get there? And as much as I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's your dream, whatever you want to do, go after it. But I love that you put the practical aspect to that as well. Yeah, it's always been my identity that drove the content. So Mm -hmm. I've never just vlogged about vlogging. It's always been okay, vlogged about my life as a student, and then a college student, and now a full time employee. So I almost just wonder like where I would have to take my content if I became full time and didn't have this other large part of my life to focus on. So it's it's almost just like by default, I've never had sort of like I'm not making enough off of it to even consider it as a full time job. And mm-hmm. I can't sit here and say that I wouldn't if I were making that much. But I just know myself and I have a feeling that I wouldn't be super content doing it full time. But I agree with you. I'm so I have so much respect for people that do. And it does seem like a really nice lifestyle to have and on the hard days in sales and the hard days at my full time job. And everyone has those. Mm -hmm. I kind of fall back to like, Oh, my God, what if I were just, you know, a full time YouTuber, and I were just at a coffee shop right now making content leisurely. Like it's it's a kind of dreamlike thing that I always pose in my head of like, oh, well, this is my other option, but it's never quite a reality. Um, but there are, you know, th- the time that I spend on it isn't wasted. I love doing it. I just never know quite how that'll shake out if I did it full time. Yeah. Um, what what would you say is the biggest challenge you faced in balancing both YouTube and, you know, having a sales job? Because, you know, definitely for me, I know how tough it is to balance both and shift energies from sales and emails and prospecting and all of that good stuff in sales and then switching over to like a creative mind and, you know, editing and all that stuff. So how has it been for you personally? And what, what are the challenges, if any? Yeah, and I'm so impressed with you for running so much on the side you do way more than I do like between literally running like an e-commerce company and then having a podcast and all these other video and other social media channels like you are the one to actually answer this question because you do so much more than I could ever I just have like the one YouTube channel I can barely keep up aside from my full-time job like I've always thrown out thrown out the idea of doing a podcast and never actually acted on it because my schedule just gets too clogged up. So I would definitely throw it back to you to answer this. But I think burnout is, you know, expectedly one of the, the, the biggest challenge 
with juggling a side hustle and a full-time job for anyone that does it. You just have to put in the hours at night and the hours on the weekends when everyone else is relaxing and, you know, doing quite literally whatever they want to do. It feels like, well, I have an obligation to myself and to my community to keep this up and to prioritize it. And there have certainly been times where I've taken a break from YouTube for like three or four weeks and just felt an immense amount of guilt in the back of my head every single week of when are you going to film? When are you going to edit? Like, what are you doing? You know, it's always sort of a driving, not anxiety, but a worry of mine that I'm not doing enough for YouTube because my full-time job absolutely comes first. And I think that is authentic to my channel to show people like, you know, I... I am doing the same thing as everyone else. Like I am just working as hard as I can in my full-time job to succeed. And my YouTube channel just sort of documents that. But in terms of like the actual breakdown of how it works, it's late nights, you know, like busy weekends. You know, I stayed up last night until like 1 or 2 a.m. finishing a video so that I could wake up early today to finish the rest of it and upload and do the thumbnail and do the title. And so it's like you do have to sacrifice your free time and your personal sort of like leisure time. But that's why, especially during quarantine, I've had um, a lot more opportunities to slow down. And because I'm not hanging out with people and my social life is non-existent, I have all that extra time to like just rest and relax and slow down and prevent burnout. Yeah. Would you say, um, you know, same thing for me, I, I'd say... I, you know, have to sacrifice a lot of free time and I barely watch any, well, first off, I don't even have any streaming services, so I don't <laughs> Netflix, Hulu, any of that. It's crazy. Um, people do think I'm like pretty crazy for not having any of that, especially during quarantine. So I don't actually watch anything but YouTube or anything I find that is free. Um, but I do that in part almost to discipline myself, just just to make sure any time I do want to get sidetracked, I don't really have that option. Um, but for you personally, would you say all that sacrifice and, and sacrificing your free time, has it been worth it um, over the years and, and you know, in balancing school and YouTube or balancing your job and YouTube? Oh, it's it's been 100% worth it. And there's some times where it's harder than others, but I am so personally fulfilled by having this side hustle. I am just too neurotic of a person to ever sit still for too long. I'm getting a lot better at it. I will say I focused a lot during this quarantine and per my therapist's advice to just like slow down, let myself have the rest. I've been dealing with this recent health diagnosis where I have an autoimmune disease out of the blue that's made me a lot more fatigued and I haven't really run into that before in my life. So um, I'm kind of rambling now, but I've, I've noticed more so now that my energy levels are a lot lower where, you know, in high school, I used to push myself 150% and I was super, super self-motivated to fill up my calendar in every spare second. And now I'm really, really appreciating the time to slow down and the time to guiltlessly binge and guiltlessly just do nothing. Like that's such a beautiful thing to be able to do because before I didn't let myself slow down and I didn't feel, if I didn't feel productive, I didn't feel happy. And so mm -hmm. I've sort of flipped the switch there and, and tried to turn my focus more on, you know, yes, I absolutely have two jobs to keep up, but my third job is resting so that those two jobs do not fall apart. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's really like a, not, a, not a third, a third, a third split, but I focus a lot more of my attention now on, on resting so that 
you know, I don't have to drop one of those important jobs of mine and I can keep it up and it, it continues to be worth worth the effort, especially when I have rest to complement it. I agree with you there as well, because I think for me, you know, before quarantine and everything that's going on, I didn't realize how much I was on the go and how much I didn't really um, rest in a sense. And so even though I, um, you know, usually in the normal times, I don't necessarily um, give myself as much free time because I don't have as much, um, but I've been definitely appreciating it more during this time, being able to, you know, sit on the couch and do nothing and sit on the couch and, you know, watch some YouTube and kind of just read or whatever, like do something that's something I know I wouldn't be able to do without this quarantine time. So certainly I'm so on board with you on that is making time to rest, even when you feel like you should be more productive or should be doing something. A hundred percent. Yeah. So a couple more questions I have here. Um, Speaking on the career aspect, what's the best career advice you've been given? There's been so much over the years from just various professors and sort of like mentor-ish figures. I don't really feel like I have one consistent mentor, but I would say what kind of centers me and the advice that, you know, keeps sort of resurfacing itself in my life was from one of my like actual formal mentors that I got through USC. They have this mentorship program where you get to be paired with uh, some sort of, you know, working world person. So um, my mentor worked at Disney and he was almost the CFO of Imagineering was how I'd put it. And so this guy was insanely busy. Like he, first of all, biked to work, which is unheard of in LA. In LA. Like you just do not do that. You just don't. And he, he lived in downtown LA and he worked in Glendale at Disney. So that's not, that's not close. That's not a mile away. That's like a 45 minute bike ride uphill, like next to a freeway. And so this guy was like a superhuman, you know, he did so much, um, fit so much in and excelled so quickly in his career without an MBA. And so I respected him a hell of a lot. And the advice that he always gave, which sort of fits into sort of the time management aspect we were talking about, is that there's always time in the day if you make time, like if it matters, you will prioritize it. If it doesn't, you won't. And so a lot of times, you know, he would ask us, oh, why aren't you doing this and this? Why aren't you, you know, starting up a side hustle or doing this and that? And the answer would be, oh, well, I just don't have the time. Like, why don't I work out in the day? Oh, I just don't have the time. It's like, he was like, no, like if you slept two fewer hours, you'd have the time, right? (laughs) Like you physically have the time. It's just a question of in your current life, it sounds like sleep is coming higher than working out, which maybe it should. But always be reevaluating your priorities. Like for him, you know, having that bike ride and those, that 45 minute exercise per day fit higher than maybe um, watching Netflix for 45 minutes. And so he always just said, like, it, it's about what matters to you. If you make time, it'll happen. If you don't, it, it won't. And so I sort of pick up my subconscious of like, what am I making excuses about? What am I saying? Oh, I can't do that because of this. If I'm making an excuse about it, it's something that I'm not prioritizing. Excuse me. And I should figure out if I want to prioritize that or if I don't. And so I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll use exercising as my main example because that's something I never did, like truly never did growing up and throughout college. You know, I was, I played basketball in high school 
and was a bench warmer and horrible at it, but at least I had exercise every single, you know, fall and spring. And then in college, I did marching band. So it was like some sort of aerobic activity, but it's not like I ever went to the gym and ran, ran on a treadmill. And so getting out of college, I kind of just kept up with that excuse of like, oh, I don't have time for that. It's not important to me. But once I reevaluated and really sat down with myself and got to the bottom of the why behind, behind why, why I wasn't doing it was because it's easy to have an excuse and easy to say that I don't have time in the day. But really, if I shift my time and if I, you know, don't spend 45 minutes on my phone before I go to sleep, I have 45 minutes to work out. Like, it's all about the trade-off of how you want to slot things. But, like, this is a lot. I probably didn't make much sense even saying any of this. But you you control your priorities. And there's you have more control over it than you think. I absolutely love your answer. I could not agree more. I, I keep saying that during this podcast. I keep saying I couldn't agree more. But it's <laughs> I love that advice though because I think that's if anyone thinks I'm kind of weird about not having Hulu or Netflix, I think that if I had to give a reason why, it's that of exactly what he said. In that, you know, I know for myself, if I did have it, I would totally be binge watching Suits or some show that I love um, over getting that 45 minute workout in. And I know. You know, just like you said, at the end of the day, it's about what your top priorities are. And of course, there's nothing wrong with, you know, watching Netflix if that's your top priority over working out. Like at the end of the day, we all have different priorities, but I could not agree more that you can choose to make time for it. And I think that's such like solid career advice. Like that's my favorite part. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, just don't let yourself like, like, don't let yourself just slide into neutral. You know, it's like you the excuses are there, but they're not, they don't have to be there. You know, you can reshift things if it really matters to you. And especially for things where you're like, oh, I'll get that done someday. Oh, I'll get that done someday. Like you could get that done today. It's just because you're, you haven't like self-reflected enough to rearrange your priorities. And you're right. Like if Netflix comes before working out, like I absolutely do not judge that. I have no judgment for that. It's about what fuels you and what fulfills you. And so over this shutdown, like I've basically pulled up rest over some of my, you know, more typical priorities so that I can rejuvenate myself. It's just, it's all about that sort of juggling and that equation of where you slot things. Mm -hmm. And what do you personally do today to continue to learn and improve in all areas of your life? Yeah, I mean, I think like for me, creativity is such a huge huge part of my life and I can't remember if Anne-Marie talked about this on her podcast episode but one of the most meaningful if not the most meaningful class I took at USC was in occupational therapy which is a field I'd never heard of before but OT is one of the most magical beautiful fields of work that I've ever heard of it's like basically the study and the career of increasing people's well-being and their approach to life. Like it's it's that broad. And mm-hmm. the class was a it was a creativity workshop class. And so every single week we met and it was just about why creativity is so important. And people like to categorize themselves as like, oh, I'm not a creative person. And when in reality, we do so many things that are creative during the day that we don't even think about. Anytime you make something that's creative, anytime you cook a meal and you make something that's creative. Like you figured out how to chop the fruit and the, the vegetables and like you figure out how to cook it. Like you're 
you know, doing something creative, even when I'm editing photos to post on my story on my phone, that's creative, like something that you're creating something out of nothing. And that is so, so, so good for my mental health. So I think that's been something today that I really value a lot in my life and that I, you know, put an emphasis on because I noticed that that's what gets me further. Like that's what restores me and like kind of refuels me is the time that I spend doing something creative, whether that's embroidery or like, you know, dabbling on the piano or editing on Visco. Like it's, it, it can be super simple, but I can't remember your question exactly, but mm-hmm. that is sort of my, like one of the things today that I value so much. That's awesome. Um, and what would you say is kind of your, <clears throat> your overall life philosophy or kind of like a quote per se that you live by? I would say I take my work seriously without taking myself too seriously. And that's something that my high school English teacher put on my recommendation letter to colleges that I thought was so thoughtful. And I don't know if he's recycled that phrase before or has continued to do so in the future, but it really spoke to me in that, you know, I take my side hustle and my full-time job so seriously, and they really do mean a lot to me and they come first in my life. But I never want to be that person that's super serious in the workplace and that doesn't feel vulnerable or relatable. So to me, like I, I never want to focus too much on being, you know, quote unquote, you know, professional. I think there's a way to be playful in the workplace and a way to be playful in your life that opens you up and makes you more approachable. So I try to take my work seriously without taking myself too damn seriously. I really like that. And one last question, and that is, what fulfills you in life? Wow. (laughs) That's the million dollar question. You know, that's, that's a good question. I feel like everyone listening to figure out for themselves. And I wish we could like, you know, phone a friend and bring in other people to, to hear about what fulfills them. Because like, that's the biggest question. It's the why. It's like, why do you wake up in the morning? You know, what, what gets you further? And I think what fulfills me is time with my family, which would never have been my answer like six years ago. But after going to college and then living back at home, I've had such a you know new, new approach to my family. And even if your family's not the most functional, there's still a lot of warmth and reward from spending quality time with your parents. I think in high school and even in college, like I would come home and just, you know, we'd sit and we'd, you know, do things in parallel. Like, you know, my parents would be gardening and I would be working on my computer. So we were around each other, but it wasn't like we were necessarily spending quality time. But now, like every gift that I give for Christmas and for birthdays is like some sort of experience. So like a wine tour in Napa and a vintage VW bus, which is like my mom's favorite kind of car. (laughs) She loves like vintage VW stuff. And like for my dad, I got him um, before everything was canceled. I got him like a kayak tour of Half Moon Bay to see sort of like otters and like, you know, wildlife out there. And so I've stopped kind of like just taking my family time for granted. And I've started investing more in those experiences because, you know, just after some personal losses in my life, I realized how 
you know, special that time is, especially when I live so close, you know, I'm like, you know, 45 minutes away from my parents when I live in San Francisco. And so now I make the time as much as I can. Sometimes the quality time doesn't happen as much as I can. I tried to make that quality time because that's what fulfills me. And if I spend a weekend at home, there's a marked impact when I go back to work on Monday. I just feel so much more whole and restored, if that makes sense. I love that answer. And I think that's something that a lot of us are kind of learning, especially during this pandemic, you know, for those, you know, who are living at home or um, FaceTiming parents more and things like that. So um, I couldn't agree more. I think that is kind of like a million dollar question. And that's part of why I named the podcast What Fulfills You? Because I think (laughs) that's a question I love to ask people. And that's something I always kind of Um, I guess in a way like to help people figure out themselves, because I think when you do figure it out, you start to cherish it more and you start to work towards um, having that fulfillment every day, whether that means spending more time with family or spending more time with, you know, the people that you love, whatever it may be. I think that's something I I hope to see more people discover in their life so they don't lose that. Exactly. You 100% get it. It is your podcast, so I'd expect you to to have a mastery of it. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. Well, um, where can we find you on social media? Share all about, you know, your YouTube, your Instagram, wherever everyone can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am pretty much any social handle is at Katherout. So K-A-T-H-E-R-O-U-T. If you don't understand why my handle is that, spend a little more time thinking about it. It'll pop into your head at some point. Uh, But yeah, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. um, I'm on TikTok as a viewer, but not as a creator yet. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So don't follow me there, but maybe in the future. um, But yeah, I I try to post daily on Instagram, like weekly on YouTube. So there's always some sort of content to, to be seen. Super awesome. And I'll definitely link all of those in the show notes. So anyone can just simply go into the show notes and click on your username and they can find you there. Thank you. No, I want to just say that you're so poised and you're so thoughtful. And I really appreciate all of the questions and the understanding and the listening you did today. Like I, I really have a lot of respect for you and, and what you do. It sounds like we have a similar sort of weekly lifestyle. And it's really cool to know that you're you're keeping it up and you're you're moving forward. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And hopefully, you know, next time you're in LA after a lot of the pandemic stuff dies down, we can hopefully meet up and grab coffee or something. Yes. Yeah. LA is like the first (laughs) place I want to go once this is lifted because I, it's, it's overdue. I'm due for a trip. (laughs) We'll, We'll definitely keep in touch then. For sure. And that was today's episode with Katherine Berry. I hope you guys enjoyed this and found it valuable for yourself. If you had a takeaway, please be sure to let me know either in my DMs or just leave a comment on the latest Instagram post. It means the world to me. And I want to let you guys know that I always recognize it. So personally, I do try to send you a personal DM when I see you commenting or just letting me know your feedback on the podcast because it does truly mean a lot to me. But before you leave, be sure to be on the lookout for the giveaway going on this week for a free copy of my ebook as well as a 30-minute consultation with me. And 
Regarding the consultation, you can look at the details on the Instagram stories, which you can find on the podcast Instagram at what fulfills you pod, and that'll all be linked in the show notes. But if you're interested in grabbing a copy of the ebook yourself right away, you can find it on the blog at emilyelizabeth.blog shop. Again, that will be linked in the show notes as well. I hope you guys have a wonderful Wednesday or whatever day you are listening to this episode on and I will catch you guys next week. Bye!